The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. If you would, turn to Ecclesiastes this morning, chapter 5, and that's where we're going to be. And uh, we're going to talk about worship this morning. And if we were to ask a question, and I'm talking to myself also, uh, to each one of us, and we said, how do you worship? I posed that question to myself. And uh, to be honest, I got to thinking about it, and I, I'm not sure we all really know how to worship. I mean, we probably have an ideal about what worship is, and if you look in the dictionary, it said worship is adoration, it's love, it's reverence, uh, it's respect, devotion, uh, it's uh, exaltation. I mean, all of those words, we can understand the meaning of worship, but how do we worship? And uh, one writer said, in the 21st century, Americans live in perhaps the most sacrilegious and blasphemous church cultures uh, in the history of of Christianity. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but I definitely believe that there's a lot of truth to that. If you're a Christian today and you uh, take your stance as a Christian, then uh, you are uh, considered an old-timer, or you're considered out of touch with uh, who we are today, and uh, it would be hard to argue the point uh, that this writer makes when you consider some of the sermon titles that you can find. What would Jesus say to Bart Simpson? That was one that I've I've seen. A, a while back, there was a whole series based not on the Bible, but on the episodes of Andy Griffith of Mayberry, and uh, it was a seven-week sermon series entitled Everything I Needed to Know I Learned from Andy Griffith, which that sounds good, and it sounds catchy, and there's a lot of good things you can learn from there, but it excluded the Bible. And so with those kind of ideals, you know, uh, churches today, a lot of churches, they have a, a, a congregation that st- struggles with all kind of questions about what is appropriate worship. This morning, I'm not going to give you all the answers, but in Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks about uh, what worship is today in our society. You know, the younger uh, folks, and I, I think I'm a younger folk maybe, I don't know, but uh, so I know some of you don't think that if you're younger than me, but when you get here, you will. Uh, they, they say, well, we want something contemporary, and then the older folks, I'm one of those, uh, also, and we say, well, we want something traditional, and so what? What's the best? And that's kind of what we have. We have kind of both here. There's there's unusual worship trends and practices. Uh, Iglesia Ni Cristo Media uh, says this: anyone can just serve the Lord any way they want to. Uh, there's a growing number of religious trends that thinks that it's just any form of worship is acceptable. God, they say, why is it important to worship? Uh, just worship any way you want to. After all, worshiping any way is better than not worshiping at all. So their ideal is whatever you worship, whatever forms of worship, whatever deity you worship, that's okay. It's better than not worshiping anything. And if you take a stance and say that that God our Father is the only thing worthy of our worship, we're considered intolerant. And we're considered to say, you don't understand uh, what, what forms of worship are. So there's a huge difference between attending church and coming to worship. And that's what we're going to talk about. And uh, there's a book called The Air I Breathe. And 
Uh, it's written by Lou Giglio. You've probably heard of him. He says, every day, I want you to think about this. This is a true statement. Every day, all day long, in every place, you worship. It's what you do. It's who you are. Should, for some reason, you choose not to give God what He desires, you worship anyway. Simply exchanging the Creator for something created. Worship is our response to what we value the most. Whatever is worth most to me is what you worship. So how do you know where and what you worship? It's easy. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your resources, and your allegiance. And at the end of that trail, you'll find a throne, and whatever or whomever is on that throne is of what highest value to you, and on that throne is what you worship. Now, over here in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, he's the wisest man that ever lived, he wrote uh, some ideals about what worship is. And it's, it's there in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1, but I'm going to read out of the message, okay? The message is a translation that, that's just more like we talk today, and so you probably don't have that translation I think the NIV, and that's what I normally use, uh, is what will be on the screen. But the message puts it this way. <coughs> Watch your step when you enter God's house. Enter to learn. That's far better than mindlessly offering a sacrifice, doing more harm than good. And don't shoot off your mouth or speak before you think. And don't be too quick to tell God what you think He wants to hear. God's in charge, not you. The less you speak, the better. Verse 3, overwork makes for restless sleep. Overtalk shows you up as a fool. So when you tell God you'll do something, do it now. God takes no pleasure in foolish babble. Vow it, then do it. Far better not to vow in the first place than to vow and not pay up. And we're going to go back and talk about what all that's talking about right there. Don't let your mouth make a total center of you. When you call to account, you won't get by with, sorry, I didn't mean it. Why risk provoking God to anger and retaliation? Verse 7, but against all illusion and fantasy and empty talk, there is always a rock, a foundation and that's fear God. So how do we worship? The first thing I think that we uh, need to understand Solomon's talking about right off in verse 1, he first says, draw near and listen well. Now here's a different translation. Walk prudently when you go into the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they do the evil. Now, what is that talking about here? Y'all remember, and this is where I put age on myself, do y'all remember what people do when E.F. Hutton speaks? They listen. Y'all remember that commercial? Be a big room full of people in a cafe or a restaurant, and uh, two men would be talking. There'd be a lot of babble going on around them, and he would say, my financial advisor, E.F. Hutton, says, and it'd be quiet. And everybody would lean their ear that way. Because the commercial was, if E.F. Hutton speaks, we listen. And when we look at what Solomon is talking about, that's what he's talking about. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. It is very humbling to me, and 
and I, I struggle with this all the time, that God would use me to proclaim His Word. I, I, I don't feel like I'm worthy to do that, and, and I have some insecurities about that sometime, and, and that's why I pray that God would just speak through me because I don't want anybody here to, to say, this is what Jake says. I don't want you to leave here saying that's Jake's ideal, but, but we want to hear what God has to say. And God speaks to us, and He leads us through His Spirit. And Solomon says, when we come to worship, draw near and listen. Have you ever uh, heard someone speaking and, and uh, you can't really hear them that well? Maybe there's a crowd of people and, and you just kind of lean in and, and you, you just turn your ear towards what they're saying. You, you want to hear what they have to say. You, you draw near to them and you begin to listen to what they had to say. Now, in the days of Solomon... Uh, the, the, he talks about the house of God, and this would have been the temple in Jerusalem. And, and what he says when he's talking about coming into the place of worship and setting aside, the temple simply done this. The temple simply reminded people of God's holiness. Well, we would say today that we don't have a temple. Of course, we know that God doesn't live in this building. He lives within us. We're the temple of God. But when we come into this place, we come into the presence of God, not because He lives here. His presence comes with us. So when we come into this place, we're reminded of the presence of God. And as we're reminded of the presence of God, whether we're in Sunday school, whether we're in the church service, whether we're in a Bible study, Whatever's being led in that area, whether we're reading the Bible, we need to draw near to God and we need to listen to what He has to say. <coughs> That's part of our worship. And, you know, if we think about Solomon, he says many of the worshipers come to the temple, they weren't sincere, they weren't sincere in their worship. They simply came to the temple and, and went through the motions. And he says right here in, in what we just read that they leave there worse off spiritually than when they came. So he, he warns us about those things. They, they were robbing God of the reverence and honor that he deserves and that, that he deserves and he desires. They were careless. They were hypocritical. They were insincere in their worship. And I want you to think about that. When we come to worship, do we come with the reverence and the honor that God desires? It's not about the church. It's not about the building. It's not about the pastor but it's about coming into God's presence and giving him the reverence that he deserves from us. There's Derek Kinder. He wrote the message of Ecclesiastes. Now, folks, I want you to know this hit home with me. He says this, talking about, again, the book is called The Message of Ecclesiastes. Need that bib again, Neil. <laughs> I'm sorry about my voice. It says his target is well-meaning people who likes to come and sing a good song, and they turn up cheerfully enough to church. Therefore, the preacher is speaking to everyone who goes there to church. His exhortations are for people who do go to church, but sometimes find themselves hard to pay attention, whose thoughts wander when they pray, and who are uh, full of good intentions about serving God, but have trouble falling through. Here's where it hit home for me. They listen for just a minute and drop out because it doesn't pertain to me. Now, I'll tell you what, why that hit home with me. I've been there too many times. I've been in churches too many times, and the preacher gets up and starts preaching, and all of a sudden I think, heard all that before, and just kind of tune out. 
I'd start reading through some other scripture or doing some kind of Bible study or, or coloring all the zeros on the bulletins. That's why we got rid of bulletins, you know, because uh, you color in all the zeros and then you draw lines through them and then you doodle the whole time and, and then there's the invitation. I was in a safety meeting one time. I hadn't been a, in my job very long and the, the superintendent got up and was given a safety meeting and he was talking about drug testing. I don't have a problem with that. I know I don't have a problem with that. So I was reading about the Mavericks, and they were, they were laying there on the table, and I got to looking, and, and I, I got to reading, and he was up there talking, and I got to reading, and I got to reading, and we went to page two. Before I knew it, I had the newspaper up, and I was reading, and, uh, and, he, and I didn't hear this. He said, I guess there's something more important in that newspaper than what I got to say. I didn't even, I just, I was still reading, you know, and, and he said it again louder, and a guy next to me went, he's talking to you, and uh, I looked over the paper, and he said, I guess what I got to say, that, what that newspaper is more important than what I got to say, and uh, he wasn't a friendly guy like I am, he, uh, he really, he roasted me up pretty good in front of everybody about reading the newspaper, but we do that sometimes, don't we? We just kind of check out. I, you're not talking to me, it doesn't pertain to me, and I, I mistakenly said, well, I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> that was a mistake. I, I can't even add the words that he put into the rest of his explanation, but uh, I understood from that point on that I didn't need to check out when the boss was talking. Now, when God is speaking to us, we need to be careful not to just check out. Not to get wrapped up in the newspaper, and before you know it, you're not even hearing anything. You're all wrapped up in something else. Here's what Solomon says. We need to come to worship with prepared hearts. I want to ask you this. Do you have more arguments? 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 They say I say arguments, but, well, don't be shaking your head, but uh, do you have more of those on Sunday mornings than any time? A lot of people do, don't they? You get up and you get ready for church. You end up you're you're fussing about something. You're arguing about something. You're uh, you're just you're getting you're getting ready and things aren't going right and and you get mad. You come to church. You're mad all the way to church. You come in the door and you're angry. You open the door. Hi, how are you? And you know you just put on this fake face and you know you've been in a bad. Why does that happen? I believe that happens because Satan would rather us do anything then come to church. He'd rather do anything than come worship. So in the process of, of preparing our hearts, if Satan can, can cause us to have some kind of distraction and something that, would, that will cause us not to be ready to receive the Word of God, then he's winning the battle. And we need to understand that worshipers, that worship doesn't happen spontaneously. It doesn't just break out all of a sudden. Worship comes to us and they have been prepared and we have a prepared heart. <laughs> I, want to think, I want you to think about this. It's essential that we prepare. We have a lot of teachers here. And I'm not saying your students prepare. And I will tell you, if I was one of your students, I didn't prepare. But, but when you come, you're prepared, aren't you? You've, you've put a, a lesson plan together, you've, you've studied, you know what you're going to teach, you know your target, and, and you want your students to be prepared to learn and prepared to hear. When we come to church, you want me prepared. You don't want, and, and when I first started preaching, I don't have this dream much anymore, but maybe your teachers had this dream. I would get up here and not have anything prepared. And I would work all night long on Saturday night just going, okay, we're going to go to 
Uh, Ecclesiastes. No, we're going to go. And y'all was all sitting there going, oh, my goodness. He don't have anything prepared. But you, you, you expect me to be prepared. You expect the praise team to be prepared, don't you? You don't want them to come up here and, and play three, letter, three notes and say, wait a minute, let's, let's do this other song instead. And you know, I don't like this song. They come prepared. Our, our, our instrumentalists, they come prepared. They, they practice and they understand what we're going to have. And so as we come to worship, we expect everything to be prepared. But folks, we need to prepare ourselves. We need to come with prepared hearts to worship God. So we prepare on Sundays, and, and as we expect everyone else to prepare, it's important for us that when we come to worship that we've prepared our hearts. We've prepared them through Bible study, through prayer, through, through being in the presence of God, through praising Him. We prepare our hearts. Here's the second thing. We need to be ready to listen. Again, that's a humbling thought, but if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're a pastor, if you lead out in someone uh, to, to say, you know, I want, I want folks to hear what I've got to say, we want folks to hear what God has to say. And Solomon's saying when we gather together as a people of God, we should be expecting something. We should come expecting to hear the Word of God. We should come expecting to learn something from the Word of God. When we come just going through the motions... I can close my eyes and tell you our order of worship. We change it up every now and then a little bit. But, I mean, we're going to sing an opening song. We're going to have a prayer. We're going to sing three hymns. We're going to have an offering. We're going to sing two hymns. We're going to have prayer time. We're going to sing another hymn. We're going to have a prayer. I'm going to preach. We're going to have an invitation. We're going to go home. And most of y'all here can say that. And we get busy going through the motions, and, and we don't come ready to listen. But we need to prepare our hearts and then we come ready to hear and come expecting God to speak to us. This morning during the prayer time, I hope you pray, God, speak to me today. I'm here to hear your word. I, I want to hear a message from you today, Father. And speak through the Spirit, speak through the music, speak through the message. And I want to hear what you'd have me to hear today. That's worship. A prepared heart, a, a heart ready to listen. And then ready to worship correctly. Solomon's describing people in the temple that had so little understanding of who God was. I'm going to give you some examples. <coughs> and what it meant to worship. They didn't understand what it meant to worship. They didn't even recognize that, that what they were doing was evil. And, and this helps us to understand. Some people have been struck dead on the doorstep of God's house. Like like Nadad and Abihu, and uh, who offered up unholy fire. That's Leviticus ten one. Or Ananias and Sapphira, who lied to God about the offering they gave in the plate and and what that had to do with. They sold a. They they told God, God, we're going to sell this this portion of land and whatever we sell we're going we're gonna to give this half to you and, and they sold the land they come to God and they robbed God and, and because of that God asked them and uh, the, the first the man the priest said have you lied to God and he, he said no I haven't lied to God and then he fell dead and then uh, they went and got his wife and his wife come in and his wife they said to his wife have you lied to God no I didn't lie to God she fell dead that, that's what that's what God began, and, and both of those things were the beginning of a new era of worship. It was a dedication of a new temple, and, and God is serious about our worship. He's serious about when we come before Him and worship Him. 
So we need to be ready to worship, and we need to worship correctly. You saw in our passage of Scripture, he talked about making vows, and we're going to talk more about that, but, but that's what we see in Ananias and Sapphira. We saw that they made a vow before God, and then they lied to God about that. That example there is, is, goes right into our next point. Don't give the offering of fools. What in the world does Solomon mean? When he says, don't give the offering of fools. Now, what could a fool do in worship uh, that would be wrong? And there's some a- examples from the, from the Old Testament. The first is this Nadab and Abihu, who, who were the sons of the high priest Aaron. And they had many jobs in the, in the temple, in the tabernacle. But their job was, and now remember, we're talking about the old law. We're talking about the Old Testament. And in the old law, there was a temple, and in the temple, the priest had priestly jobs. Remember when Jesus Christ came, he, he split the veil in the temple, and no longer do we have to go through a priest to go to God, but we go directly through him through Jesus Christ. Well, that wasn't the case here. And part of their jobs was bringing fire to the tabernacle and burning incense in the tabernacle. And God laid out in his law very explicit examples of how to do that. He said, this is how you'll do it, and this is the manner in which you do it. And he, he, he went down to the very detail of how that was to be done. But Nadab and Abihu, they, they decided they would do it their own way. They decided, you know what, we don't need to do it God's way. We have a better way. And in the presence of God, they said, we'll come into the presence of God and we'll do our own thing. But they were wrong. Leviticus 2.10 says, Fire came from the presence of the Lord. It consumed them, and they died there before the Lord. When Solomon's talking, when he says the sacrifice of fools, that's what he's talking about. Those who come into God's presence and says, Hey, we're going to do our things the own way. We think this is a better plan. We think this is a better action to move forward. Solomon says those are sacrifices. Those are offerings of fools. There's another story about King Uzziah. King Uzziah, he started out as a good king, fairly good. He was following God, but as he went on, as he became more powerful, as he became more successful, he decided he was important enough that he didn't need the priest anymore. Remember the priest was the go-between between God and man? He said, you know what, I've reached the point in my life, I don't need to go through those priests anymore. So he decided, I'm going to go to the temple, I'm going to burn incense, I'm going to do the things I desire to do, and everything is going to be all right. He was wrong, Second Kings 15.5 says. The Lord afflicted him, the king, with leprosy until the day he died. See, he offered the sacrifice of fool. He did what was wrong in the presence of God, and he decided, hey, as long as I'm worshiping, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care. There's another king, King Manasseh. King Manasseh, he didn't even start out right. He started out wrong from the, from the very beginning, and he did all kinds of bad things, but one of the things he did, he said, okay, I'm going to go in the temple, and I'm going to rearrange the temple. So he went in and he rearranged all the things in the temple. Again, I want to remind you, the, the old law had very specific things that were in the temple. He came in, he even put a, 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 a pagan altar in the temple. And he said, you know, I'm going to worship. I'm not going to worship God. I'm going to worship something else. And, and this is going to be a, a pagan altar. And, and the worst thing he'd done, he offered up his son 
as a burnt offering to God. You know, he said, well, if I can offer up these things, this will be even a greater sacrifice. He offers up his son. Now, eventually, Manasseh repented for all that he had done, and God forgave him. But in 2 Kings, it says, The Lord's fierce anger burned against Judah because all that Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. See, Manasseh offered up a sacrifice of fools. We need to be careful about that when we worship. Here's the second thing this morning. Be quiet and stay calm. Now, y'all are pretty quiet. Don't get any quieter. Because <coughs> I wonder sometimes if you've dozed off. But that's not what uh, Solomon's talking about. What he's talking about is what we promise to God. So when he says be quiet, he's not saying don't say amen if you're in tune. I love that. Let me know you're here. So... When he says, be quiet, he says, don't be rash with your mouth and do not let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is also vanity. But fear God. What's Solomon talking about? He's talking about... Careless praying, that's one thing. Just careless praying. When we, when we pray, be aware of hastily praying. Be aware of just, of just shooting from the hip in our prayers. That's not, what, that's not what God desires from us, and that's what Solomon warns us about. And over in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, Jesus gives an example about pray, prayer. He says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. When we pray, we're just talking to Dad. If you go before your earthly father, if he's still here, or whoever raised you, or, or whatever uh, figure that, that you would consider a father figure to you, and you don't go and... Say, oh, thou great and mighty Father, I come before you today. You just go talk to him, don't you? Hey, let me tell you what happened to me today. Let me, let me tell you this. Man, I'm, I'm in a bind right now. What do you think I should do? And, and Jesus is saying, don't go and utter many words and, and stand before everybody and think, boy, but when they hear these things, they'll say, oh, what a holy man that must be. Listen to his words when he prays. What he taught in his prayer was this. He says, the ten, Luke, Luke chapter 18, 10 through 13, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Y'all remember this story. And the Pharisee stood thus with himself and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, exhorters and unjust and adulterers, or even like this tax collector that's over here at the altar. And the Pharisees would come with these bells and these flags and all of these things that they could be heard in the temple. And they would throw their altar into brass offering plates that rang throughout the temple. And they would stand and boast loudly, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all my possessions. But the tax collector, he stood way off. Would not as much as raise his eyes to the heavens, but beat his breast saying, God... Be merciful on me, a sinner. And when we worship, we need to be careful about careless praying. I told y'all, I think we was uh, in church and we had, uh, at the time, this wasn't this church. This was a church I came from. uh, And I was a teenager and uh, we had a guy and and, uh, he come to take the offering up. 
It was very, four men come to the back, they come down the middle aisle, they spread around, and uh, they called on him to pray, and he said, God, I, I don't remember what he said, I remember one thing he said. God, I thank you we're here today, bless this offering, bless this food we're about to eat. That's what he said right here. Boy, in youth group, when you hear that, it's hard to contain it, you know, even in prayer, but just careless praying, just, just careless praying. When we worship, we need to be mindful of that. Here's the third thing. If you make a commitment, keep it. That's what Solomon's talking about when he talks about vows. He said, if you make a commitment, keep it. Don't be quick to make foolish vows. This is what he says. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay with it. What you have vowed, better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that this was just an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? You might say this morning, we don't even do that anymore. We don't even make vows anymore. So what does that have to do with us today? I mean, you're, you're talking about the Old Testament, and you're talking about the Old Covenant, and you're talking about the Old Law, and they made all kinds of vows to one another. We still make vows today. I mean, we make wedding vows, don't we? If we go to court, or if we're a witness in court, we place our hand on the Bible and we make a vow to tell the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So, so making vows is not the issue the issue Solomon's talking about is making vows that we have no intention of keeping. So we go before God, we're worshiping God, and, and we begin to say, God, I promise this. I promise I'll do this. And we have no intention of keeping them. And Solomon said, that angers God. I have a, a some of y'all, back a long time ago, there was a movie in, in 1978, by, it had Burt Reynolds in it. And uh, this movie was called The End. And what it was, it was, a, it was a, a movie about a guy who had a terminal illness. And because he had a terminal illness, he decides that he's going to end his life. So he decides that he's going to uh, go out in the ocean. He's going to swim out in the ocean as far as he can to where he knows he don't have the energy to get back. And then he's just going to turn around and start swimming back and just drown himself. I've got a little three-minute clip I want you to watch. And, and it really is a good illustration of how we make a vow or how we begin to bargain with God. Let's watch that. That's kind of a comedy. It, it looks pretty serious when you first start watching it. But did you hear the progression in his... That's exactly what Solomon's talking about here. He's talking about commitments. And, and as funny as that is, I, I, I thought it was funny because don't we catch ourselves doing that sometimes? God, if you'll do this for me, I promise I'll do this for you. And then when God delivers, we say, well, God, you know, I, I'm going to get to that, but I just can't do that right now. And, and Solomon's saying when we worship, and what it really means to worship is when we make a commitment to God, when we, when we give ourselves to God and we commit ourselves to God and we begin to make 
we, we begin to make vows to God. God, I promise this. Help me through this situation. Deliver me in this area. And we begin to promise God things. We need to follow through because we need to understand when we say those things, God takes us at our word. God takes us seriously. And Solomon, he warns us of those things. So when we read this of vows and we think I'm far from ever making a vow, when you pray and, and you begin to go before God and you have a, a right heart before God and you begin to, to say, God, if you'll just bless me, if you'll just do this, if you'll just do that, in return, God, I, I promise I'll do these things. Solomon says, keep it. And keep it quickly because it angers God. Here's, here's the last thing. They're talking about angering God and, and, and making vows with no intention to keep it. That's, that's one thing that, that we're in danger of. The other thing is, that's just lying to God. The other thing is making vows and delaying keeping them. Solomon says, you know, through those things, through us, us lying to God or for us delaying what we've promised God, he's anger. And he says, again, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely. You shall not perform your, you should not perform your oath to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, nor by earth, nor by God's throne, nor by his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king, nor, nor shall you swear by your head. Because you cannot make one hair on your head white or black, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is evil from one. We studied this passage of Scripture on Wednesday night two weeks ago, and, and simply when we come before God, let our yes be yeses. And our no's be no. And we don't have to make a vow. We don't have to make a promise. We simply need to follow through on our word. It's much easier us to make a promise than to keep it. And people do this all the time with God, I believe. You know, they, they say, God, give me or forgive me or do this. And, and I'll do these things. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Here's the final words, and here's what we're going to close with. A reminder, verse 7 says, fear God. All these things he puts together, he's talking about worship, and lastly, he says, fear God. Now, you remember example of Moses at the burning bush? And it says there that Moses, was, is his sandals were off, his mouth was shut, and his ears were open. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, but if you read that account, that was Moses, wasn't it? He went over to see that bush, he... The, the bush spoke, which was the presence of God, and he said, remove your sandals because you're on holy ground. Moses removed his sandals, and he came close to God, and he simply listened to what God had to say and what God had to speak. That was reverence for the Lord. That's what we see in, in Moses. And Paul quoted in, in Psalms 36 in describing problems, this was among the Romans. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Two places in Scripture did he say, here's the trouble with, with Rome, here's the trouble with Romans. They have no fear of God. So what does it mean to fear God? And this is what I want to close with this morning. C.S. Lewis, the, the Lion and the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, if you've never read that series, it's, it's really good, and I'd recommend it's probably six or seven books, uh, but they're really good reading. So if you've read that, this will be a little familiar. If not, then uh, it's, a, it's a book uh, about Christ, and, and, but he uses a line. Uh, I'll just get into it. Maybe you'll understand. When the children are told that they're going to meet Aslan, the lion, Aslan is a symbol of Christ. 
Susan replies, oh, is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Then you will declare, or he, no, no, uh, that you will, dearie. Make no mistake, said Miss Beavers. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either brave, braver than most, or they're just silly. Then is he safe, said Lucy? Safe, said Miss Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good, and he's the king, I tell you. And when you're reading that, you realize that the children, they're going to meet the king. And because they're meeting the king, they, they have a reverence. They, they have a, a fear within them. And he says, you don't need to be, you don't need to be scared of the king, but, but you, have a, you have a fear of the king. Now, I was thinking of another illustration, and uh, it's in a, a western, and, and the guy's talking about the president getting shot, and he's from England. And he's talking about the king and the queen. And he says, oh, anybody could shoot a president. But no one could point a gun at the king because your knees would shake and you would fall in awe. And what he's talking about, he's talking about the fear of the king or the queen. When we think about God and we think about the fear of God, we're not talking about being afraid of God. It's talking about being in the presence of God and the reverence of God, and just realizing who we are in the presence of. I want you to bow your heads, and and just for a moment, I want you to think about being in the presence of the King. I mean, the presence of God Almighty. I love the song that we used to sing, and we'll sing again, that, that says, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I can feel his presence and his grace. We are standing on holy ground. Let us praise Jesus now because we're in his presence on holy ground. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Pure and holy. Tried and true. And with thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary just for you. Father, I pray this morning as we see the splendor of the King and clothed in majesty that our hearts would rejoice. Father, I pray today that as we come into your presence, we would hear a word for us, for me, Lord, today. Lord, I pray that we would be careful with our words. I pray that we'd be careful to to not go through the motions of simply coming to a service, but Father, we would know that we're in the presence of the King, and we come to praise you, and we come to worship you. Father, I pray that we would draw near to you, and that we would hear, hear your word for us today. Father, I pray that we'd be careful about the words we speak and the vows that we make. Father, I pray that we would have joy in you and that our joy would be complete. I pray, Lord, that we would come with prepared hearts expecting today to hear from you. 
ready to listen, worshiping correctly, and, and Father, not just giving the motions and the offerings of fools. Lord, I pray mostly this morning that you would take your words, and Father, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is just, Father, that it would remain within our hearts on fertile ground. Father, those things which are apart from you, I pray that you'd strike them from our minds. We'd remember them no more. But, Father, in my life, I pray, Father, that I would know and I'd understand what it is to worship. And as we come to this place, into your presence, we would worship you as brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we go from this place, Father, that you would be the start of our day, the end of our day, and, Father, in between, we'd be about your business. Whether it would be teaching, whether it be working for Encore or driving a truck, whatever it may be, that, Father, we would honor you and glorify you with our words, with our actions, with our attitudes. And I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.